Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Don't blame the earnings. Today was a textbook case for why you can't take your cue from the action. Once again, the market pulled back, Dow slipping 100 points. S&P backsliding 0.26%. NASDAQ declining 0.15%. This in spite of the fact that we got plenty of good earnings news both last night and this morning, especially in retail of all places. Wasn't retail supposed to be dead? Where, where was that memo? Was it, get that memo? No matter. Even the amazing numbers in the stock moves from Foot Locker, from Ross Stores, from Gap, even from Abercrombie and Fitch, they weren't enough to pump up the averages. No. We've been seeing this pattern a lot lately where overseas markets set the tone, selling overseas. We inherit the percentage gains or, as is today's case, losses, and we stick with them. All I can say is that's pure stupidity, frankly, because those foreign markets are often reacting negatively to a weak dollar, something that's really good for the U.S. But no one ever said the stock market had to be rational. And in fact, market irrationality often gives us exactly the kind of great opportunities I talk about, because we can try to make money by going against the grain, as everybody did who bought retail earlier this week. Those stocks were amazing. That said, while blowout earnings reports can't always save the broader market, a beaten race quarter will almost always produce higher prices for the stock in question. And in this particular market, kind of rocket prices if people are betting against the stock. But I say almost always because if you have forward momentum, that may not be the case. Take the case of applied materials. That reported an amazing quarter last night. Yet after a monster rally going into the quarter, well, it gave up all of its gains and then some. I think the reversal is a gift. More on that later when we speak to AMAT CEO Gary Dickerson for the company's 50th anniversary. That's an example of one I want you to buy on weakness. Still, it's another reason why you have to pay attention to the individual earnings reports. Now more than ever, when you see something like a footlocker up the most it's ever been, when you see something like a raw store, just children's place, this is where the action is. So let's go over the game plan. Monday's got some big ones. Some of my faves here. After the close, we hear from a company with a long history of upside surprises, Agilent, letter A people, which makes testing equipment and science for uh, life sciences, technology applications, and a host of others. It's remarkable how consistent this company is. And the stock hit a new high today. I would not be surprised if it's got more room to run. Agilent's been a massive year after year winner, and I'm glad we've stuck with it. We also hear from Urban Outfitters. And I have to tell you, lately this thing has been a horse. That presents an interesting dilemma for us. Can a retail apparel company with a red-hot stock keep going after it reports? 
I actually think the answer could be yes. As I mentioned, look at Children's Place. That said, the recent retail rally does rely heavily on short covering, which means when the shorts are finished repositioning, it's likely to run out of steam. So I'm going to take a pass at Urban Outfitters, betting that the last three or four points have been short covering by people betting against retail because of Amazon, short covering that didn't pay off. Then there's Intuit a stock we've championed for ages because we love the do-it-yourself tax base. No wonder it's at a 52-week high. And even if tax reform passes, I don't think it'll make one bit of difference to Intuit. In truth, the House bill really won't do that much to simplify the tax code at all. I really wish they had done such, such a rush job on such an important piece of legislation. But that means Intuit should have plenty of work to do next year, even if the, this bill passes the Senate. And it will be business as usual. Intuit's got upside. But even just the stuff about how to calculate stocks and change of stocks and selling stocks, you're going to need Intuit to figure out. Perhaps the most difficult stock to fathom or Intuit here right now is Palo Alto, which I spoke positively of earlier this week, last week when we were at West Point. The last quarter was terrific, but the cybersecurity group itself has taken on, uh, let's say, a dichotomy. Some of them are getting paced some of them are going higher. After speaking with Cisco's CEO, Chuck Robbins, this morning on Squawk on the Street and hearing his companies taking business from, well, let's say, other competitors in the security industry, I worry a little bit about Palo Alto. While I think the world of Palo Alto CEO, Mark McLaughlin, I want to watch this one and wait here, mainly because the stock was up so big today. And these stocks that are up big, I am concerned about. Tuesday's got some intriguing companies reporting, starting with Lowe's, which has done pretty well for itself of lately. Another stock that looks terrific. The issue here, though, is right here, right now, frankly, I don't believe Lowe's is performing at the level of Home Depot. And I think the home despot didn't get nearly the credit it deserved after reporting its blowout quarter. So why take a chance with the likely inferior Lowe's when you can still buy the stock of Home Depot. We also hear from Medtronic, and I think this medical device maker is doing very well. But given how the market's treating this industry, even if they report a dynamite quarter, I don't know if it makes all that much of a difference. I'd rather you take a pass on Medtronic and buy some Abbott Labs, the company run by Miles White that we featured just last night. My travel trust owns it. Even at 55 bucks, the stock is cheap. We've been high on the dollar stores for some time, especially Dollar Tree. And reports Tuesday, I bet we get an upside surprise. Dollar Tree has terrific bargains, and it can't be easily Amazon. The stuff's too cheap. I think Wall Street is filled with snobs. And if they're willing to walk through the doors of the Dollar Tree with me, the one in Philadelphia, the one... Have you seen the one uh, in the Hamptons? That place is dynamite. I'm telling you, it'd be a ton of fun to come with me, especially the candy aisle. And the snobs would then understand why this stock has been such a winner. But they won't go. Now, there's a problem. Stock's less than a buck off its 52-week high. And it doesn't, if it doesn't pull back a bit before the quarter, then you may not want to play it for a trade. But as for an investment, I think it's terrific. Because if you get a pullback... That's when you got to pounce. Raw stores reported Monster Quarter last night and sent up the whole discount clothing group, including Burlington, a longtime Kramer fave. Again, though, that makes it difficult to buy Burlington going into earnings. The ones that moved up in, uh, let's say, sympathy with others in this retail group may be too high for the moment. You know I adore the semiconductor space. And one of my favorites is analog devices, which bought linear technology earlier this year. The synergies from the deal have been better than expected, and analog devices has a huge number of chips and all sorts of autos. It's a pure play 
on the, on the Internet of Things, which I'm sure that Gary from Applied Materials will talk about later in the show. After the close Tuesday, we have to go all, we have to go all in technology because Salesforce.com reports. And even as this stock has run ahead of the quarter, I think we'll get a big number from the company. Uh, every year I go to Dreamforce in San Francisco. That's their tech festival. And each time I'm blown away by all the new clients and all the business that they're doing around the world. I think Salesforce goes higher as CEO Mark Benioff just keeps winning contract after contract. But please don't buy the first tick of the trade if it's up, okay? Because this is one of those stocks that has wild gyrations right after it reports. Can we listen to the conference call before we take action, please? Now, I'm not as sanguine about Hewlett Packard Enterprise which also comes after the close. I have an uneasy, almost queasy feeling about the numbers coming here, given how many companies are gunning for their business and winning it. I'm as negative on it as I am positive about HP. That's the one that's got the PC and the printers, and it continually blows away the numbers. That thing's been a total beast, and beasts tend to keep running. You know which brick-and-mortar company worries me the most? It's not Macy's. No, nah, it's not Nordstrom's. Eh, Penny ain't so hot. It's GameStop. I'm worried because I speak to the video game companies. Remember, we, we, we had Strauss Selling from Take-Two One recently, and the digital world has really taken over. It, it's not a physical gaming world anymore. It's all digital. Why would anyone ever go to GameStop when you can just download games straight to your PC or PlayStation or Nintendo Switch? Riddle me that. I think there's just well, let's just not enough brick-and-mortar business left for GameStop to make a real go of it, although they are nice guys. Real nice. Wednesday, we get durable goods orders, and I think we're going to see very strong numbers. We did today with housing starts, up 13%. Good for Owens Corning. I'm following all, they're on later. I'm following all this data closely because we want to be sure the economy is coming in hot to a December rate hike so that we don't have all these blowhards saying this rate hike is going to turn us into a recession. I think the answer is yes, we have good, strong numbers. But we know from the last two weeks of selling that we're hearing a lot of commentary about short rates shooting up while long rates are flat. And that's a condition often been a precursor to a recession. I don't believe we will get one this time. But I'm not above looking at the data to challenge my thesis. You always have to challenge your thesis if you're a good investor. The rest of the week is pretty quiet except for one earnings report, dear. We're in the midst of an incredibly powerful agriculture cycle, and that's propelling the stock of Deer higher. I bet that continues, and Deer could be a buy, both before and after, even as you know we like Agco. Martin Riesenhagen, we like Agco. It's the cheaper stock. Here's the bottom line. There are a lot of great earnings reports coming early next week, so pay attention before everyone goes away for Thanksgiving. This was supposed to be, do you think this was supposed to be day after? It looks like it's the same meal. That doesn't look like leftovers. Supposed to be leftovers. All right. Well, so much for graphics. Why don't we take a call? Why don't we go to Jim in Florida? Jim. Jimbo, a big sunny Naples, Florida. Booyah to you. Oh, completely. What's shaking? My question is on uh, Foot Locker. With the earnings announcement this morning and the big pop in the stock, should I hold it, sell it, or maybe sell it? Stock goes to 42, I believe, and then it reverses and comes back to 47. Even though they beat the number, the comparable store shares aren't going to be that great. But here's what happened. There are a bunch of analysts who were negative on it, and they went positive. And I don't blame them because the stock is down gigantically for the year. It was down 50% going into the quarter. So I say you hold it on for a little bit more. I think there's a few more points. Let's go to Chad. In North Dakota, Chad. Well, happy Friday there, Mr. Jim. Oh, Bismarck, North Dakota. Yeah, man, I'm going to go. I got, I got a little football wins. this weekend. What are you talking about? 
Carson Wentz is from Bismarck, North Dakota. Well, He's a local I was, boy. I was working my way toward that by saying we're going to see Carson Wentz Sunday night on NBC because he is real. He's like one of the great. Actually, he's like a real person. Have you met him? Yes, I have. And I met his stepbrother. He's still in high school with my son. Help. Can you please just for a moment tell people how charitable Carson Wentz is and what he did with that little boy? Oh, my God. I tell you what. The other night we went to a local banquet for the high school. And I bet there are half a dozen items that somehow, someway, Carson Wentz had either signed or donated to auction to benefit all the, all the kids in the high school. And he's, he's the real deal. What you see on TV is what you get. All right. I had to do that. I'm sorry. That was like a paid public service and, uh, note for Carson Wentz. But I have someone from North Dakota. Why are I going to not take shot at that? So what do we have, Chad? What do we got going? Super value, SVU. My family and I have held it for at least 10 years. Up and down and up and down, and now I see it just keeps going down, down, down. Yeah, well, you know, Amazon's taking a shot of Kroger's going after them, and they got the uh, Walmart going after Who's not going after them? Uh, my take is, is that it's not a great stock, and, even, and down 50%, it's still Chad may not be too late to go. Hey, but we did talk about Carson Wentz, and we were, and we were bullish on him. Bye, bye, bye. All right. Next Thursday may be a holiday, but the market's still humming. So many earnings at the early part of the week, and we got to stay focused. A bunch of really good companies. I really like Dollar Tree. I like Deer. I like Intuit. Wow. I like HP, and I like Salesforce. Uh, on Mad Money Tonight, my exclusive with the CEO of Applied Materials from Smartphones, store of artificial intelligence. Is this behind-the-scenes tech stock the way to play the space? Yes. Then the one trend that's been steady in the IPO market this year, I'll reveal it and tell you what it means for the averages and, of course, your money. Plus, from keeping you insulated to keeping you in the air to Pink Panther, I don't know, Owens Corning has you covered. Could its housing exposure up solidly uh, the foundation of your portfolio? Or is it really just a secular growth play? Find out my exclusive. And stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Applied Materials, the phenomenal semiconductor capital equipment maker, just reported still one more blowout quarter. The stock's been on fire lately, up 75% for the year. Well, pull back today on profit taking, I think it's a steal. And that is why I am thrilled to have Gary Dickerson, the president and CEO of Applied Materials, here with us today to celebrate his company's 50th anniversary. I can't believe it. I remember when it was founded. And these are fabulous numbers. Mr. Dickerson, welcome back to Mad Money. Oh, thank you, Jim. Happy to be here. All right, Gary, you are saying, you, you know, I go through the, the reports here. You are saying that we are at the start, not the middle innings, not the late, the start of a complete new, new era of growth. There are a lot of skeptics. I know I'm not one of them, but you've got to answer them who say, are you kidding me? It's got to be near the end. Look at the stock price of applied materials. Well, Jim, we just finished uh, a record quarter, our revenue up 34%. And our profit up more than two times that amount. In the 50-year history of applied materials, there's never been a better time to be an investor in the company. The future of competition is going to change. 
uh, AI and big data are transforming major industries. We see this in, in retail today, healthcare, transportation, you know, many, many, many different areas. And at the foundation of that technology is applied materials with materials and innovation. Our semiconductor business is hitting on all cylinders. Our display business, we see multi-year drivers in display. Our service business last year grew quarter to quarter 20%. So we're firing on all cylinders, Jim, and the nature of competition is changing in these industries. That is fueling our business. That's something we've never seen in the history of our company. Okay, you're calling the AI, artificial intelligence architecture, a war. And it's shaping up to be the biggest battle of our lifetimes. What do you mean by that? Well, Jim, many people talk about trillions of dollars of economic value being created. Technology is going to transform all of these different industries. And in, in, in the AI big data era, there are a few drivers. One is everything is becoming smarter. You have sensor technologies, uh, many, many smart devices. That is growing our business. About 40% of our foundry business now is coming from all of those smart devices. The memory business is also growing at a rate right. that we've never seen before. All of these smart devices are creating a tremendous amount of data. Data is exploding. And the memory business is growing at, again, a rate we've never seen. The profitability of mem memory companies is better than we've ever seen. And also, to really capture the value, you have to take the data and process it with high-performance computing. And the, the fundamental technology for high-performance computing and AI, those materials come from applied materials. So these smart devices, the memory technology, the uh, high-performance computing, all of that are fundamental Big drivers for our future business. All right, now, Gary, last time you were on, I gave short shrift to display. You did not do that on the conference call. You gave a lot of talk to it. I don't think people realize if you want, look, I, you know I'm a big fan of Lamb because you watch the show. But what Lamb has is very competitive products. But when it comes to display, it is yours. Please tell our viewers what this display div division is doing for you because the growth here is phenomenal. Absolutely, Jim. So uh, really, there are two major drivers in display. You have organic LED displays for mobile devices and smartphones. And there's this annual war for mobility leadership. Every year, consumers are buying those, cons those devices that have tremendous displays. And we have a multi-year driver there. The, the capacity that's currently being put in place will serve about 50% of the smartphone business between now and 2020. So that's a multi-year driver mm -hmm. in display. We also have large screen televisions. And uh, one, one great example is if you're building a bigger panel, they call it Gen 10.5, you can get eight 65-inch televisions on those bigger panels. <laughs> on the previous generation, which is Gen 8.5, you only get three 65-inch TVs. So uh, both of these drivers, organic LED and TVs, are multi-year drivers. Jim, our display business is up 5x over the last few years. Last year, our display business grew 55% in revenue. Next year, we're saying significantly more than 30% growth in revenue. And you're absolutely right. It's a unique opportunity. We're not competing with other large 
semiconductor equipment companies in this display business. Tremendous multi-year driver. Okay, one last question. You mentioned that your clients have a lot of money. Now, there are so many skeptics. I candidly am not one because there's been too much money made, and I have my eyes wide open. But a lot of times people say, Gary, when people have a lot of money, they tend to overspend. But you are not. You are seeing discipline on the part of these customers, right? Absolutely. Again, if you, if you look at the, the, uh, all the smart devices, Jim, you talk about this a lot on your show. <laughs> There's an explosion of all these smart devices, and, and this is going to continue to grow. The memory uh, devices also, that is growing with this explosion of data. They're also crossing over with solid state versus hard drives. So it's way more uh, cost effective with power and heat to go to those SSD devices. We've never seen this kind of crossover in the past, Jim. So you have all of these multi-year drivers. And, And the last one, the biggest driver that we've ever seen in our lifetime that's going to change our world in the next 10 years is AI and big data. So you combine all of those things together, uh, people have a hard time because they try to extrapolate from the past. Right. We have some fundamental different drivers that are multi-year drivers in our display business, in our semiconductor business. Uh, so we see clear line of sight, Jim. Tremendous revenue, revenue growth for 2018 and beyond. Well, you are with me. We are one on this. Thank you to Gary Dickerson, the president and CEO of Applied Materials. This man is a visionary and he sees it. And yet the company's been around for 50 years. This is not some small cap stock. Mad Money's back after the break. As your investing coach, I've always considered part of my job to keep an eye on the list of initial public offerings, or IPOs, in order to educate you about the companies that are coming public, and there's a ton of them. Evaluating a newly minted IPO is a great way to learn about how to pick stocks. Every now and then, I really nail it. I get some wrong, but do you remember that Canada Goose? That's been the one that I've championed the most. It's maker Furline Parkas that I recommended back in March. Well, since then, that stock's given me a phenomenal 55% gain. And I like to warn you, warn you when something seems too hot right out of the gate, like Blue Apron or a Snap, both of which ended up melting down in spectacular fashion. By the way, I'm not a fan of the stock of Stitch Fix either, which came public today. No harm in selling that one Monday morning. Sell, 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 sell. You get it. As part of our ongoing review of all the new issues, that, that's what old people like me call IPO names, we have spotted a trend that's been steadily on the rise, and frankly, I'm not happy about it. More and more Chinese companies are listing themselves on U.S. markets, particularly the New York Stock Exchange. I'm not the first guy to pick up on this. Bob Pisani wrote a fantastic piece on the subject for CNBC.com last week. But I think this new trend is worth reflecting on because I'm worried about it. What exactly does the influx of Chinese IPOs mean? How should you approach them? Now, it's not just that Chinese IPOs have been surging. According to the IPO experts at Renaissance Capital, we've had 149 deals so far in 2017, up more than 53% for this time last year. By my count, 11 of those IPOs were for Chinese companies. More important, we've gotten nine Chinese deals in just the past nine weeks. You know what? That in itself is a serious red flag. How have these IPOs from the People's Republic been doing? 
Well, six of the 11 are up from where their deals price, with China Rapid Finance, Bright Scholar Education, Best Inc., Shy Lab, RYB Education, and Sogo, all in positive territory. Five are down from where they came public, Siku Holdings, Qutian, Rise Education, Four Seasons Education, and yesterday's IPO, Shine Poo Tech. Both, but two of the winners are nonetheless down from where they started trading, Best and Shy Lab, meaning they spiked right out of the gate and have since come down. So if you bought them in the aftermarket, yeah, eh, not so great. So for people who couldn't get stock in the actual IPOs, it's more like there have been four winners and seven losers. That's really the right trajectory. That's the right analysis. Now, there's been a great deal of justifiable skepticism surrounding many of these names. For example, the first Chinese IPO of the year, China Rapid Finance, had to cut its IPO price range by 38%. And then the deal ended up pricing at the low end of the range anyway. But then it opened with a nice pop, and the stock's now up nearly 53% from where it came public. I never mind it when they cut, cut, cut the deal and then pop. What about the most recent wave, though, the nine deals we've seen since late September? Well, the company that kicked things off was Best Inc., BSTI, and it had to drastically reduce the number of shares it offered as part of the deal. They went from $65 million to $45 million. I'm sorry, $62 million to $45 million. On top of that, Best also had to slash its price range by 25%. It then came at the bottom end of the range, 10 bucks, and while the stock spiked up to $11.48 when it started trading, and then briefly surged up to 12 bucks the next week, it's meandered back down to 11 bucks ever since. Then there's Siku Holdings, which IPO'd a couple of days after Best. This deal was a bust. CQ came public at 13, stock opened at 12.10. Now it's down nearly 7%. Hmm, it's only got, I mean, now it's down 7%. It's only gotten worse since then. Do you know this stock traded down to 8 bucks as of today? 8 bucks. Just what a terrible loss. So far, not so good. Meanwhile, the five companies from the People's Republic that have listed here in the U.S. in October and November are all performing poorly. The two deals in October both had strong debuts, but then took a major turn for the worse. First is this Qdidian. This QD came public on the 18th. Deal price at 24, two bucks above the high end of its proposed price range, rocking up to $34.34 at the opening, giving anyone who got in on it an amazing 43% gain in a blink of an eye. But QD got too hot too fast. Investors quickly began to have second thoughts. And by October 26, barely more than a week after the IPO, the stock had traded down to $22.80, more than a buck below where the deal priced. It's only drifted lower since then. If you bought this thing when it started trading, you've been crushed. You're down nearly 40% in less than a month. Two days later, Rise Education, R-E-D-U, listed on the NASDAQ. Rise priced its IPO at $14.50, slightly above the proposed price range. Stock opened up at $16, up 10% from the get-go. But again, investors soured on it pretty quickly. Over the next three days, Rise got obliterated. Plunging from $16.61 down to $12.21 in a brutal three-day sell-off. See the theme I'm getting here? Earlier this week, the darn thing dipped down to the single digits. Okay, today it bounced back over 10 bucks. Uh, but uh, still, people who have bought Rise have really gotten burned. And while those Chinese IPOs have come at an even faster pace since the beginning of November, we've had three of them in less than three weeks. The reception has gotten even more negative. Four Seasons Education. I like Four Seasons Hotels. This is Four Seasons Education. FEDU came public nine days ago, pricing at 10 bucks. Middle of the range. Opening slightly higher, $10.36. But by the end of the first day of trading, the stock had already backslid down to $9.50. So in a single session, anyone who participated in the deal racked up a 5% loss. It's bounced a bit since then, but it's still below 10 Same goes for Sogo, the second largest search engine in China after Baidu. 
and Sogo IPO'd on Thursday of last week. Deal price at 13. First trade was also at 13. And then it rallied to 13.50 by the end of the day. Since then, it's been pretty flat. Today it went out 13.19. Pretty underwhelming, if you ask me. Yet, uh, Sogo was actually the best performing Chinese IPO from the last couple of months. Yesterday, Shine Poo Technology, or JT, made its American debut at 8 bucks. Stock opened at 8 and a quarter. Finished the day at 8.40. But today, Shine Poo has gotten annihilated, down more than 10% to $7.17. Out to the Shine Poo. I don't make up the names. What, you think I make up the names? I don't make up the names. Looking at all, looking at all, looking at all these deals from the People's Republic, a couple of things jump out at me for starters. Besides Shine Poo, for starters, four of the 11 Chinese IPOs this year have been education companies. One specializes in math. One does after-school English tutoring. Another about early childhood education. And the last one does bilingual schools. But this thing really struck me as odd. Really, it makes sense. There was one very strong Chinese IPO this year, Bright Scholar Education, back in May. This is the one that focuses on bilingual and international schools. Bright Scholar priced at $10.50, opened at $11.10, and then since then it's been on fire, climbing to 22 bucks and change as of today. So really, these other education IPOs, I think they're just trying to capitalize on this one company's stock's great success. Bright Scholar. We see this all the time, one red-hot IPO in an industry, and then you get a bunch of lower-quality companies trying to capture some of those gains. And you don't want to buy the imitators. So here's the bottom line of the sorry story. The recent spate of smaller Chinese IPOs are not for home gamers like you. It's my job to keep you away from these. If you don't understand a company, you shouldn't be playing with its stock, which is why so many people have gotten burned on these deals. How the heck are you supposed to differentiate between Bedu, Reddu, and Fedu if you don't lose the symbols, if you don't live in China? So if you want exposure to the resurgent Chinese economy, and I do want that, I say you stick with the big established names you can get your head around. Stick with Alibaba. Stick with Baidu. They have financials that look like American companies, and they have been fabulous long-term winners. The others, stay away. James in Virginia, James. Hey, Jimbo, nice to talk to you, mate. Same. I've been watching uh, Mongo. M symbol is MDB. It's an IPO. Yes. I haven't pulled the trigger, but I want to take it your take on it. Um, we like Mongo. We did a nice uh, nice review of it the other day, and we thought it was a little expensive, but we, uh, I, I think it's very good. I, I would own that stock. Let's go to Vicky in Ohio. Vicky. Vicky? Yes. You're up. It's Jim. Hey, Jim. So happy to talk to you. First, I want to thank you for all the help you give us home gamers. Oh, absolutely. You've done great things for my portfolio. And I want to just let you know, uh, Mosaic was the first stock I made a lot of money on. Mosaic, really? The uh, the fertilizer company. Okay. Thank you. Anyway, I bought Twilio, and and I bought it at about 35, and it went up to 70, and uh, I was too greedy to sell it. And as you say, pigs get slaughtered. Well, now it's right around 25, and I'm just wondering what I should do. You know, this is where the the CEO bought a lot of stocks, so I'm not going to tell you to sell it at 25, but I will tell you that if it gets back to 30, I think you should take some profits. All right. Uh, Well, no, you don't have a – I'm sorry, not – You don't have a profit. I think you should take the loss. Okay, here's the problem. This Chinese market 
They're just bringing everything public, and it worries me. There's a slew of IPOs coming out of China. But if you don't understand the companies, please do not play with these stocks. If you want exposure to China's economy, I am telling you to stick with Alibaba first and then Baidu. Much more Mad Bunny Head. Housing data released today showed housing starts rose to their highest level in a year in October. Tonight, I'm getting an inside look from the CEO of a company on the front lines of housing. Can Owens Corning help keep your portfolio insulated? Then forget the great and powerful Oz. I'm talking about the great and powerful Amazon and telling you how its role is impacting other companies in this market. And all your calls, rapid fire, in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. And of course, a look back at the week that was. So stick with Kramer. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The cyclicals are back, particularly the ones that have a nice trajectory up. When the economy heats up and it's definitely getting hot in here, all sorts of companies that do well in expansion suddenly see their numbers surge. Just look at Owens Corning, VOC, a company that makes building materials like insulation, roofing shingles, and fiberglass composites. These guys are all about construction, transportation, to a lesser extent consumer goods, but also power generation. For years, roofing, insulation, and shingles were pretty slow businesses. The housing industry hibernated. Well, now it's awake and the OC's making a killing. Here's a stock that's rallied 66% year-to-date, getting more than 27% just the last three months. Big analysts day yesterday surging again. Now, Owens Corning reported a strong quarter at the end of October in spite of the hurricanes, and even though the stock's had a major run, I wouldn't be surprised if it's just getting started. So let's check in with Mike Thayman. He's the chairman and CEO of Owens Corning to get a better sense of his company and where it's headed. Mr. Thayman, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Okay, I, I, I say it's just getting started because, Mike, I've seen... Owens Corning go up and down. No, it doesn't go up and down and up and down anymore. It is in a clear trajectory that is, I regard, as secular growth. And therefore, it must be, it must be much more sustainable than the old OC. Yeah, I think we've taken advantage of some good market conditions for the last three years. And we've really seen a change in the performance of our businesses over the last three years. Uh, we're now growing revenue close to 10% this year. Uh, we've doubled EBIT over the last three years. And I think the big story in our stock and the performance has been free cash flow. Um, our cash flow conversion has been over 100%. We'll generate about a billion five of cash flow from 2015 to 2017. So the stock is starting to realize those benefits. Right. But those are the things that are driving the view that our performance is sustainable because we've really done, I think, the right things to get to that view. I think this is important because a lot of people might say, look, there were big storms, Jim. Should I buy Owens Corning for the big storms in Texas and Florida? Right. The answer is you buy it for multi-year industry trends, whether it be a stri- for composites, a stricter regulatory environment in China right. or the high capacity utilization rates. You buy it for industry consolidation. These are not storms. Right. Well, let, now let's start with the roofing business. Okay. The big news in roofing is that re-roof has come back. So we've had all these years of very weak re-roof demand where storms were defining the marketplace. Yes. Now you've seen home equity improving. People are investing in their homes. People are putting new roofs on their house. And as a result, we're seeing that core roofing market, which is our bread and butter, really come back and sustain great performance on a roofing division. Now, I also want, want to talk about, I think it's, when we look at this, uh, the acquisition you made, you know, I don't know if you watched, we had PPG on that yes. uh, earlier in the week. Yeah, I did. And, you know, I love that company. And one of the things that they are trying to define themselves is these high-performance coatings. Right. But they got, ri- they got rid of, I'm going to use that term, Pittsburgh Corning, which is one of their great businesses from the old legacy. Yeah. And it fits in perfectly with what you're doing. Yeah, in May, we were able to do a transaction where we bought the Pittsburgh Corning business, which makes a product called Foam Glass. It's actually foamed glass. And what makes this a unique product is, you know, it's, it's moisture resistant, it's completely flame resistant, and its performance is uh, enduring through time. 
So it's very good in low temperature type applications, LNG type applications. We saw it as a real niche business that then took our insulation business globally. So we now have an Asia piece, a Europe piece, and a U.S. piece in that business. And then about a month ago, we announced a follow-on transaction to buy the stone wool business or mineral wool business of Perak in Europe, which now gives us a middle market, middle temperature product in Europe. So at this point now, we're looking ahead to next year. Our insulation wool business will have low temp, medium temp, and high temp product in the three largest insulation markets in the world, Europe, the U.S., and China. No, I don't want to minimize that. The, the, uh, in Texas, they are uh, – I was listening to the Home Depot conference right. call, and, right. and they literally right. just have, have had to rip everything away, and they've yep. had to rebuild. And they're coming back strongly with everything that you have inside yep. a house. Yeah. When you look at the, what, what happened with that hurricane, I mean, it was really a flood. Right. And so what you tend to see is big disruptions in the supply chain, which we talked about in the quarter. Right. But once those disruptions go away, you've got to go back in and rebuild. Right. Initially, they're turning out a lot of drywall. They're turning out a lot of insulation. Yes. That's got to go back in. There'll be roofs, and then we'll get new construction back on its feet in Texas as well. Now, I, I didn't get a lot of this here, but it's something that, uh, that Mike was talking about at PP&G in his call. Yeah. The millennials do different things. Now, on the Home Depot call, they said millennials aren't just spending money on their ha- that much on their house. But they like things that use less, you know, that have smaller environmental fr- right. footprint. Nothing has smaller environmental footprint than insulation. Yes. I mean, they must love it. The, well, we actually announced a very interesting product in, in, in the last couple months, which is we have a big renewable footprint in terms of our energy generation. Right. So we buy most of the electricity in North America through wind generation. So we actually now have the only insulation product in the marketplace that's made with 100% renewable energy. So not only does it save energy through the life of the home, but it's actually made with 100% renewable energy. We're just beginning to take that to market. But we think architects and other people who are interested in, in really building the greenest possible home are going to flock to that product. Well, let's talk about that. See, at my age, I wouldn't really care. Right. Okay, because I would say, okay, well, great, they make it good. This will be a major determining selling point versus the competition. Yeah, we certainly believe so. We've been investing in core fundamental technology so that we can get the, the products to operate in very narrow windows of performance, okay. which is what you need in order to be able to meet those very strict standards. And right. we think not only is that an opportunity for our company, we think it's an advantage we have relative to our competition. And it's also, I do want to just uh, close with China, because yep. China, this is not something that I thought of as the OC in the old okay. days, but this big business for you. Oh, yeah, we do very, very well in China. I think for a period of time with investors, China was seen as a negative because in our composites business, we saw such a big overcapacity in China. Right. But over the last decade, that theme has changed entirely. In our composites business, we now see demand growing faster than capacity. We've had stable margins and great returns. So we're investing in China. We're investing around the world. We see great opportunities. I think the best thing I'd say is we think the best is yet to come. Oh, I believe it. You know, we, we, we've had three wonderful years. Yep. The stock is catching up with our performance, but this company's not done and our team's oh, not no, done. Oh, no, a lot of cash results. being and No more boom bust. That's yeah. what I really like. Okay, that's Mike Thame. He's the chairman CEO of Owens Quitting. If you just do one thing for me, look at the chart of this stock. This is not the old OC. Mad Money's back after the break. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. It is time. It's over the light. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Brandon in Pennsylvania. Brandon. Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you, partner? I'm good. Hey, I was just calling to see what your thoughts were on uh, Universal Display. We have been behind uh, Universal so- Display, symbol OLED, for as long as I can remember, and we're not backing down. It is a big short squeeze right here. Maybe wait for it to cool off a little bit. Let's go to Craig in New York. Craig. Hi. 
I took a small speculative well, position it, in Cartronics. I'm down 70%. Yeah, what yeah. do you suggest? No, I don't like Cartronics. Um, uh, spoiling the momentum. I don't like it. Sorry. Uh, we got to keep it short. They're telling me I got to keep moving. I got to keep moving. I'm going to Lorne in Minnesota. Lorne! Booyah, Jim, from Lorne in Minnesota. Okay, I'm what's up, Lorne? I got to go. Tell me to keep it short. What do you got? Okay, I want to, I'm here with my dad. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Ah, fam, familiar Booyah. I want to know if I should buy Constellation. Yes, I want you to buy Constellation. Ah. It's going to be a great quarter. Now we're going to John in Virginia. John! Keep it short. Hey, John, that's the show. I didn't get that stock. What's the stock? Yeah, Kinder Morgan. Kinder Morgan? No, no, we yeah. don't want to buy. I mean, you got enough problems. Sell, sell, the, sell, the, pipes, the pipe stocks are very weak, and I don't want you to buy. Oh, no. Come on, I want one more, please. Let me have one more. Carl in Delaware. Carl. Booyah, Professor Kramer. Booyah. And good evening. Good this evening. Is Professor Carl G. Smith from Long Island University. Okay. Francis bottomed at $7.20 a share. I added about 15K shares at an average cost of eight fifty a share. I believe the data will set you free, and every bit of data I'm researching suggests that this company's stock will be a gusher, pun intended. What is your long-term horizon viewpoint on this bohemian? It's on Transocean? Yes, uh, we talked trans- about it at West Point last week. I think it's got like three or four points upside, but let's not overstay our welcome because oil needs to be at 70 before they make a lot of money, 60 at least. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. This hazmat combination has... I kind of like that look. That's a good-looking suit. Ooh. A big behemoth fashion bar, San Miguel. Booyah to you, Fred. Holy cow. Booyah from Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. And don't forget the Super Bowl in order to... All right, got dollar signs in your eyes? Call it Booga. Or buy online and get it home. Booga. To be Amazon or not to be Amazon? That is the question. The question why so much of today's market. It's almost eerie that one could, company could play such a huge role in both the economy and, yes, for Kramerica, the stock market. Consider that many insiders believe that the motivation for both Comcast, parent company this network, and Disney's interest in Fox is that Amazon could have more scale than the suitors unless, unless they bulk up and make acquisitions. I, I can't even say they're wrong. Amazon has enough funny money, so to speak, and they can do whatever they want. People raise money for them. That anything they do uh, will be paid for. Consider that Google, Microsoft, and IBM are all desperately trying to take customers away from Amazon Web Services because it's the acknowledged leader in the cloud infrastructure business and it wants to take on all comers. Consider that many retailers have been decimated by Amazon, and all retail stocks have been hurt because investors realize that Amazon has the power to destroy any brick-and-mortar chain it decides to put in its crosshairs. As the legendary cable operator John Malone told David Faber yesterday, Amazon is a death star, moving in, quote, striking range of every industry on the planet, end quote. So what makes Amazon so powerful? 
Is it the unlimited capital it seems to play with? Is it the vision of Jeff Bezos, its founder, CEO, and evil emperor, if you want to continue with the Star Wars analogy? Is it the fact that Amazon's not hobbled by brick-and-mortar stores and all of their accoutrements, including expensive mall rents and massive labor costs? I think it's all of those. But what's really at stake here is that the consumer loves Amazon. The consumer pays for Prime, and Prime is the most convenient, quickest, best way to get pretty much anything. Just look at the incredible price-to-earnings multiple shrinkage in the drugstore stocks. Let's use them as an example. In other words, people are suddenly willing to pay a lot less for the likes of CVS and Walgreens. Why? Because Amazon has periodically, periodically, mind you, expressed interest in getting into the pharmacy business. CVS and Walgreens are two good operators, but their stocks have been shredded thanks to these rumors. You know what? It makes sense. The front of the store, so to speak, is already covered by Amazon. I have a drugstore literally about 400 yards away from where I live, and I never get anything from the front of the store anymore, especially bulky items like toilet paper or paper towels. I order online. Amazon. If I had the ability to get my prescription drug sent to me the same day my doctor emails the Amazon pharmacy, I'd transfer in a heartbeat. And, and believe me, Walgreens and CVS know that. I can't think of anyone who gets much out of a pharmacist these days at one of those big chains. It's not like they were years ago when they were integral to the healthcare system. They're largely factotums now, as these big chains wiped out the corner drugstore years ago. Drugs are now like any other product. Why go to the store if you can get them delivered? Are we too afraid of Amazon? I don't think so. Even as today's retail rally was about momentary relief from Amazon's tyranny, as well as a huge short-covering rally. But for now, Amazon is indeed the Death Star. As long as they continue to provide better goods and a better service, every conceivable competitor is right to be afraid. Be very afraid. Stick with Kramer. I like to say there's always a market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.